And let's, let's pray together. Father, we just ask for your grace and your mercy as we preach your word. Lord, incline our hearts towards you. Lord, may, may, we, may our hearts be softened towards you as your word is preached. Lord, would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. To our guests, welcome. Thank you for being here, being a part of our time of worship this morning. The title this morning is Speak, because there's a lot of speaking that goes on in this text, and I want to just highlight the speaking moments in the text. Back in July, or maybe even June, scheduled that we would take two weeks on chapter six, because it's chapter six, because of the content, what you just heard, what you just read. And so, so there's no apologies. This is not, I'm not trying to re-preach um, Aaron's message last week. Um, it stands, it stands. So you can go back and you can listen to that if you didn't have a um, chance to hear that. Um, there will be some things that get repeated, and that's on purpose, because I think we need them repeated. And there will be times, especially as we get to next year, and we're working through Isaiah, there will be, well, you might think, wow, we're really going through this book slowly. We are, and on purpose, we're going through slowly. We will start picking up the pace next year, I promise you. And so, chapters one and five, though, just a little review, those are dark. Those are difficult chapters. Those are one chapter after another after another of just this wave upon wave of judgment and just challenging chapters um, that can, as, the, as a reader, it, it can feel crushing to read those. Fortunately, throughout those chapters, Isaiah just drips. There's these moments of grace. There are things like what's on the wall behind me, but in chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they, will be, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. What a great picture in the Old Testament pointing to the Savior who's to come. Chapters 1 through 5 poses to us a question. How will sinful arrogant Judah, Jerusalem, how will they become the holy people? How will the, the, the distant, disillusioned people of God become the spokesman to the nations? Remember in, in one of those uh, earlier chapters where the nations were to come to Judah and Jerusalem and they were to speak of the things of God. Well, that's going to happen in chapters 43 and 49. The question for us as we read 1 through 5, how, what happened? That now they're proclaiming to the nations, the surrounding nations, the things of God. Well, what happened is chapter 6. And that's why we want to stay here for another week. Chapters one, uh, chapter six is somewhat of a summary of chapters one through five, but it's also an introduction to where the book is going. So a familiar passage that comes along often in Christmas season in churches, but we often preach it out of its context 
Well, you'll hear it next week preached in its context. Let me read to you a familiar verse, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, that's where we're going next week, but it might be the first time you've heard it preached in its context, starting at chapter 1, verse 1. And so I'm excited for that for you. And then the week after that, we'll introduce our, our Advent season where we will be unpacking chapter 9 slowly, week after week. What's in chapter 9? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, right? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. All right, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, week one, wonderful counselor. Second week in December, we'll preach mighty God. Third week, Everlasting Father, fourth Prince of Peace. As we will anticipate the coming of our Lord in that Advent season. So chapter six is this pivotal chapter. It's so critical to not only what we've seen already in verse chapters one through five, but it, it's so pivotal and critical for you to understand chapter six because of what's coming after chapter six. So I attempted to write a prop statement this week, as we always do, a big idea, a main idea. And I usually when I'm trying to craft those, I try to make them brief and concise. And well, I didn't this week. <laughs> it's too long. You probably don't want to write it down. Just pay attention. If you would like it, just let us know. And we'll get it to you. But it's the progression of the text. It's what's going on in the text as it kind of unpacks. Here it is. The death of the king exposes the false hope that the people wrongly held in their human leader. In the year King Uzziah died, which then ushered in the realization that there was a king enthroned in Israel. I saw the Lord of hosts high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Which then ushered in the realization that there was a king enthroned in Israel, which led to an extravagant vision of God, which led to a radical confession and self-despair. Woe is me. I'm a man with unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips, which led to a purifying cleansing moment where the seraphim peels off and, 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 and cleanses his lips with that burning coal, which led to a calling. Who will speak to my people? Which led to a send me moment. So we're going to unpack that. And the way that we're going to unpack that is there's all these different speaking moments in the text. And so we begin actually with a non-speaking moment. <laughs> the, I, I want to point out that the king, small k king, is no longer speaking. In an effort to express to us these are all speaking moments, I want to point out that there's one who's not speaking. In the year, King Uzziah died. Now again, Aaron covered this last week, but it bears repeating. I want us to try to grasp 
the, 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 what's going on here. That, that this, this is Isaiah trying to help us understand that in the year that the carpet was pulled out from underneath the people, like in the year that we had placed, they had put their hope and their security in this human king, King Uzziah. King Uzziah's reign was long, 52 years, going back to the 60s for us. One king that entire time. And they had put their, their, their security, their sense of hope, their sense of future in this king. And, and what Isaiah is pointing out for us, well, the king has died. What's going to happen to us? The Assyrians are marching on them at this moment. What's our future? What do we do? Judah and Jerusalem were their future, their, their, their current moment. It's full of uncertainties. And they had grown lazy. You see, the, the, the reign of Uzziah was such a prosperous reign. He was a good king. But with that reign came all sorts of prosperity, which then brought the people of God to just be lulled to sleep. They, they no longer needed God. They, they were not desperate for God or the things of God. And Uzziah himself, his later years, um, his, his reign was, was a picture of that. They had become so comfortable and distant from the Lord. And we're to read Isaiah and we're to understand this book doesn't just exist for the original readers or for these people, but it exists today. It exists for us. We're to recognize that, wow, it's not difficult to crawl into the text, right, as an American, that all of our prosperity, all that we have, all that we've been given, lulls a people. And the people of God become distant from God and disillusioned and no longer need God. We're to read Isaiah and realize this is a dangerous place for the people of God to be. The people of God then and the people of God now should never find comfort in being distant from the Lord. And I want us to remember, be reminded that Isaiah is writing to the people of God. He's not writing to the surrounding nations. The problem in Isaiah isn't the nations that are out there. The problem in Isaiah is not the, the armies that are marching on them. The problem in Isaiah is inside their four walls and it's inside our four walls. The problem isn't our government out there. The problem isn't this, the secular, secularism that's out there. The problem is in here. The problem isn't that, oh, they've taken prayer out of the school. The problem is that the church struggles to gather to pray. In here. And so the king has died. And all hope has been dashed. And safety has been crushed. And security died with him. And his voice Maybe we could read it like this. In the year King Uzziah died, the king's voice went silent. 
I saw the Lord, the Lord of hosts, and he's upon a throne. So in the year that the king's voice died and went silent, we'll see in a little bit, there's another king who's speaking. In the year that our safety was, our hope was crushed, there's a king who's enthroned on high. In the year that this human king and his human throne has dissolved and there's another king and he's enthroned in heaven. I saw the Lord and he was exalted. He was enthroned. And in this, this first verse ushers us into, I'm gonna submit to you one of the most incredible moments of worship in Holy Scripture. I can't go as far as to say the most incredible, but it's one of the most incredible, worshipful moments in Scripture. It's a worship text. It lives to stir our hearts to worship God. Or what we like to call here at Trinity is to treasure Him. Trinity Community Church exists to treasure Christ, grow in Christ, proclaim Christ. This is a treasure text. This is a text that we're to, we're to, to um, not sit back and at a distance just kind of read of it indifferently. This is a text that is to, to move upon our hearts and to see God's greatness, His holiness, His glory is on display for us to be affected by that and to treasure Him. Safe for us to say that when this day ended for Isaiah, he treasured God more. He had beheld him. My prayer is that when this day ends for us today, we will, Trinity will, treasure God more. So the king's voice has gone silent. But there's another king in Judah and Jerusalem who's enthroned in heaven and his voice will speak. Secondly, the seraphim speak this worship. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, these angelic beings with two covered his face. Again, because of the glory, his holiness, it's appropriate. With two covered his feet, two he flew and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. It is that three-time repeated adjective of, of the character of God. Who is God? Who is God in the text? He's holy, holy, holy. It is to say holy on top of holy, on top of holy, on top of holy. It is to say perfection, perfected, perfected. Nowhere else in the Old Testament do we read of other attributes of God in this sort of way. We love the love of God. We, we, we ought to love the love of God, but nowhere do we read of God is love, love, love. He certainly is. Nowhere do we read God is faithful, 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 mercy, 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 just, just, just. We read he's Holy, holy, holy. 
And I want to submit to you that all of those other attributes, all of the attributes of God, it's appropriate for us to put the adjective holy in front of all the other. In other words, it is a holy love that he loves us with. It is a holy mercy that he brings to us with his mercy. It's a holy faithfulness. Like you just can't get, you can't get outside of the holiness of God in the attributes of God. It envelops him. And, it is, and it's also the way in which we go, okay, when we think of the transcendence of God, that God is completely other, right? Like we're not holy, holy, holy. Isaiah gets that. We'll get to his speaking in a few moments, but these seraphim, it seems to be they were created just to proclaim this worshipful moment. Holy, holy, holy. Do we have any sense? Do we get it? Do we, do we have any sense of the glory, the majesty of the holiness of God? Who he is, who we're not. He's a created being in that presence of the Lord. He knows who he is, I believe. I believe when we stand before the holiness of God, we will know who we are. And I mean that for all humanity, believer and unbeliever. That's why Philippians 2 says that we will all bow before, bow before him. He's completely other when it comes to his holiness. He's not like us. He is to be worshiped. He is the king enthroned. And as the people there are unsure of their future, and while Uzziah the king had become lazy in his later years and indifferent towards the things of the Lord in his reign, there is a king who is enthroned. And he is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Now you think about humanity and you think about humanity's attempt to fill the earth with our glory, right? We seek to fill the earth with our glory. We actually begin to think that we are what's glorious, on this earth. And so we got to fill the earth with our glory, our achievements, our military might, our financial securities, our job well done, hit songs, remarkable athletes, modern sciences, technology, technological advancements. All wonderful things, but not the glorious thing. Not the glorious thing. Trinity Community Church exists to treasure Christ. And I'm submitting to you, this is a treasure text. This is a worship text. This is glorify God text. The king has died. Our hope has been dashed. Oh no, wait. I saw the Lord and he's enthroned. And he will be speaking shortly. Number three, the prophet speaks. 
So King Uzziah doesn't speak. The seraphim speak. And now number three, the prophet speaks. Verse number five. No, I want to read four because you can't skip four. And the, and the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with, with smoke. I just tell you, we were, we were having this conversation in our community group this week and it was helpful. Uh, Todd Musoff shared his perspective on this text as a career firefighter. The building is shaking. It's filled with smoke. What do you do? You hit your knees. You're on the floor. And this is not a casual moment. This is not, you know, oh yeah, me and God, we're good. He's holy and yeah. This is a fearful moment. Listen, this is an appropriate time to say, ah, awesome glory on display. And so he says, How does the prophet speak? Verse five. And I said, woe is me. Woe is me. Now we've heard, I struggle. I I wrestle this morning even trying to think, did anybody else call woe is me on themselves? We we, we see woe to the wicked. Um, Lots of woes, right? Josiah preached through the woes in chapter five. There's, there's, There's a long list of woes. But here we have an individual saying, woe on me. Can I give you a translation? This is from Tim's translation. Ah! I'm a man with unclean lips. Among a people with unclean lips. And I'm standing before holy, holy, holy. And I've got these angelic beings around me who get it. The foundations of the thresholds are shaking at the voice of him who called and the house is filled with smoke. Woe is me. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Remember from chapter one, I think in chapter two as well, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. And so he speaks this woe and this I'm unclean and my eyes have seen the king and I'm submitting to you. This is Isaiah worshiping God. Undone in the presence of the Lord. Treasure him. Worship him. Glorify him. Number four, the seraphim comes back in to speak. Verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, 
This is what he speaks. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So here you have the seraphim and they're holy, holy, holy. And one of them peels away, takes the coal and brings it to the lips of the prophet. It's a picture of this cleansing that's going on for Isaiah. Bringing it to the lips of the one who's going to speak on behalf of God. Cleansing his lips. I was thinking about this the other day. Don't you, don't you love fire? And don't you not love fire? Right? It's all, it's all in one's perspective and what's going on, right? Like fire destroys and fire cleanses. Fire is fascinating. And fire is terrifying. Fire is beautiful. Fire is ugly. Fire is inviting. Fire is something to run from. And so we're brought into this picture of this seraphim who's got this burning coal. represents this cleansing to the lips of the prophet and he cleanses him and he makes him holy incredible words six chapters in to this book of Isaiah behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away your sins atoned for that's what holiness does The holiness of God brings holiness to us. Remember that principle of biblical interpretation, right? Is when you're, well, all of scripture points to Christ. And so when we're in the Old Testament, we can know that as we're reading scripture, we we can know, oh, that's pointing. A Messiah's coming, a Messiah's coming, a Savior's coming. It's not about Isaiah. He's not the Savior, but there's a Savior who's coming. And there's this picture here. This is gospel speak that the seraphim, well, the seraphim really is preaching the gospel to Isaiah and to us. Your your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament believer had to put his faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior who is to come. As new covenant believers, we look back to Christ, the Savior who came. And the burning coal symbolizes this this finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross where Christ sacrifices himself not only to save you, but to cleanse you, to sanctify you. He didn't just save you so that we can then sit on the couch. I think Aaron said that last week. He didn't save us to just then sit. He he saved us to sanctify us, to cleanse us, to transform us, to make us like Christ, to make you and I holy. Wait, what? Ah, 
You, you know enough about yourself for that to be, wait, what? Ah. Let me tell you something. God knows more about you than you know about yourself. And he came in the sacrifice of Christ to not only save you, but to sanctify you and to make you clean in Christ. He brings the, that which is dark and he brings that into light. He takes what is dead and he breathes new life. And he has done that for you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the already is that he has finished his work on the cross. He proclaimed that on the cross. It is finished. That's the already. The not yet is that he's still at work in you and I. You have been cleansed and you are being cleansed. Your guilt, it's been dealt with. Your sin atoned for. You are forgiven. His blood washes you clean and yet you're still growing. You're still growing in Christ and we will continue to grow in Christ until the day we die and be and come to be with him or he returns. It's a treasure text, church. It's a treasure text, but ready? It's a grow text. Treasure Christ, grow in Christ. This is a text that exists to help us come before the greatness of our God, the holiness of God, and for us, to, to be awakened to, I, I, that, that's completely other. Woe is me. And to cry out to God and he forgives. And he is transforming us to be like his son. He is growing us. He is cleansing us. Grow in Christ. Treasure Christ. Number five, the, the king speaks. Not a king, not the king, the King speaks mission. The king of all kings. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's the voice of the king of kings speaking. It's the first time in our text that we hear the king, the king speak. The Lord speaking. And what God speaks makes it abundantly clear that mere experiences is not the end all. As Christians, we're not just chasing an experience as if that experience would be the end all. Listen, treasure Christ, grow in Christ is never the end all. To say, I treasure Christ is to say, I value Christ. I glory in Christ. And when something is treasured and valued and gloried of, it must be spoken. We do it all the time. If it's not spoken, it's not treasured. We speak of that which we treasure. We're hardwired for this. We're hardwired to treasure things. Or I'd say it like this. God created us to be worshipers. And our hearts will find something to treasure. 
The question is, are we treasuring that which is truly treasurable? Or do we find lesser glories to be that which we, our hearts are attracted to and glorify and treasure? You see, what we're doing by snapping that photo of the sunset is we're speaking something. We're saying, this is glorious. And as a believer, I, I, we're saying this, my God made this. I'm just going to capture a photo of it. But my God creates those things on a daily basis. So what does, what does God say? What does the king speak? Well before, we say, well, before we look at what he speaks, let's consider what he doesn't speak. Holy, holy, holy. Woe is me. I'm unclean among a people of unclean. What is the next words? What will the king speak? He doesn't speak condemnation. Wait, what? He doesn't condemn Isaiah. He doesn't say, Isaiah, before you do anything, why don't you get out of here, out of my presence, go get yourself cleaned up, moralism. Why don't you become good? And then why don't you come back and present yourself to me in my holiness? No, there will be none of that. There will be no self-cleansing in Isaiah 6. And there will be no self-cleansing when we stand before the presence of our God and King. No self-cleansing. No, he doesn't speak condemnation. He doesn't speak any of this moralism that we speak in our day. He doesn't say, go join a class. Nothing wrong with a class on sanctification. He doesn't say, go join the class on evangelism. Nothing wrong with having a class on evangelism. But let's just note it. Wait here, Isaiah, until you get yourself cleaned up. And then go speak to others. Amazingly, he speaks mission. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So look, it's beautiful that it's us there in the text. The Trinity is in view here. He speaks mission. That's incredible to me. Why should, what, what has Isaiah done to be entrusted with a mission? He's unclean. He's right. He's accurate in his assessment. Why should he go? He's not been to the class yet. And what have you done and what have I done to earn the right to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ? As Corinthians tells us, what, what, what have we done? Wait, wait, what? Or on the flip side, again, like what does he not speak? He, what, what do we find ourselves speaking in that moment? I'm not, I'm not all that. I don't, I'm not put together. We sound like Moses, right? Like, like, I don't got this. I need to learn more. I need to, and no, actually the call, the mission comes to all of us. We're not saved to sit on a couch. We were saved to be sanctified, to be sent.
What will each of us do to earn the right to be cleansed and now speak the glories of God? Answer, nothing. Not one single thing. The moment that we've done one single thing is the moment we can boast in ourselves and think we have the right to speak. It continues to be a treasuring moment because really what should be going on in our minds is, wait, what? I'm unclean. In the midst of a people who are unclean, Christ has come and his work is finished in me. And so I understand that, but there's still this ongoing fleshly thing that's going on. I can't speak for holy, holy, holy. Praise him. Yes, he saves you to sanctify you, to send you. It's a treasure text, a worship text. It's a grow text, a sanctification text. It's a proclaim text. Speak of the glories of God. And what drives that proclamation? Well, the treasure does. The worship of God drives the proclamation. It's, it's seeing God is to be who he is, his glory, his value, his worth. Ah, speak. But it's also the grow. That we've been cleansed. Treasuring Christ, growing in Christ, drives the proclaiming Christ. What ushers in new people who will treasure Christ? Well, what ushers in new people? Treasure Christ, grow in Christ, proclaim Christ, who will then come to a place of treasuring Christ and growing in Christ and proclaiming Christ, who will then lead to a people who will treasure Christ and grow in Christ and proclaim Christ. What, what drives, oh God, help me to grow in you. I want to be transformed. What drives that? Treasure Christ drives that or we could ask a question why am I not growing or why have I grown comfortable and distant similar to the people in Isaiah I submit to you it's a worship issue before it's anything we don't see God as he is his glory. It's a treasure issue. I'm not growing. I'm comfortable. I'm distant. I'm stagnant. I'm dull to the things of the Lord. Oh, come to a place of treasure. Dig into the attributes of God. Or another question, what silences the believer the follower of Christ from proclaiming Christ. It's a treasure issue. It's a worship issue. It's a value issue. Evangelism is always submitted to, if you will, to worship. Like worship, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, worship or evangelism? Oh, worship. 
Evangelism is the response to being a worshiper and evangelism is a response to people who are not worshipers. We evangelize because we live in a world who doesn't treasure Christ. So to treasure Christ is to grow in Christ, is to proclaim Christ, is to treasure Christ. We speak of what we value. Now listen, when we're not inclined to speak of the glory of our God, let's be concerned. Let's wrestle with this. Maybe we're more like the people of Judah and Jerusalem than we care to admit. Maybe we've been lulled in our 2019 prosperous America than we want to admit. Ray Ortland says it like this, a guilty conscience liberated by grace unleashes us. The gospel says to us that sin most damning to, our, to your conscience, that sin haunting your memory, Christ carried it far away to his cross where it died under God's wrath. Justice has been satisfied. You are released. The price we pay for this liberation is traumatic self-discovery before a holy God. We must be shocked into realizing that we're less Christian than we think we are, more American than we think we are, and unworthy of God. That's when God comes to experientialize to our hearts fresh cleansing in Christ. It is his grace alone that awakens us and qualifies us to our generation. It's the remedy for our indifference, our deadness, our prosperity is not, is, the remedy isn't some aestheticism. The remedy isn't some moralism. The remedy is to fall on our face before the holiness of our God and invite his grace to come and renew us yet again. And so number six, the prophet speaks again. The latter half of verse eight, then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Eyes, ears, and heart dead to the things of God. Lest they, were, they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Whew. Oh, this is tough. We might come to the end of verse eight and say, here am I, send me. And we start to think what's next. Like it's usually where we end in our minds of what goes on in chapter six. It's not over. And we might think, all right, they, all right all this has been going on. This is gonna be a Nineveh moment and all the people repent. Not here. No, not even close. Rick, it's not a Hallmark movie. <laughs> no, it's, this, is, this is horrific what we're reading. God says, I want you to go and I want you to speak to these people and they're not gonna listen to you. Okay, that's great. Eyes, ears, hearts will be dull and apathetic. It's not really the mission that we're interested in today, is it? 
At the end of the meeting this morning, we're going to put a sign-up sheet over here. And for all of you who want to speak to people who won't listen to you, sign up. Right? Like, that's, yes. That's what we're called to. You see, we like the idea of, I, I, I will open my mouth if people will listen. Or we like the idea of mission when the people are lining up, right? We live in a day that wrongly defines a church's success by how many people you can get in a room rather than how many people we faithfully speak to, proclaim to. And biblically, biblical understanding is that most of them will reject. Maybe Isaiah should alter his message. Maybe he should water down the truth. Then maybe the people of Judah and Jerusalem would be more responsive to his message. Maybe then he would have a crowd of listeners. Let's make the truth of God, God's words to the people more palpable. Let's, let's make it more 2019. Let's make it more digestible in the current culture in which we live. And the church today is converting people into nothing. God is not viewed as glorious, worthy, holy, to be treasured above all things when we turn our worship service into the, the least common denominator, when, when we make the eternal truths of God to be more, let's just make them more digestible. We offer to the world a false salvation. Salvation is not to be worldly with a little dash of Jesus Salvation is repent of your sins. Renounce the things of this world and the things that this world calls valuable and to be treasured and embrace that, the, the one who is truly treasured and worthy. Lay down your life and follow Jesus Christ. Salvation is a life of treasuring, worshiping and growing and proclaiming. But Christ following it's Christ following. And that's often not good enough for the church growth strategies. Trinity exists to fill a room full of people. No. It's not why we exist. Trinity exists to fill a room full of worshipers people who are having an encounter with Jesus Christ to then treasure him, to then grow in him, renounce the things of this world and find value and glory. He is the treasure to be desired and to proclaim him. To lay our life down for Jesus Christ because he's worthy. Therefore, we must call for repentance and faith in Christ or call for nothing at all. And in so doing, the text is telling us, in your current cultural climate tells us, and many, if not most, will not listen. And that's not the issue. 
Following Christ without dying to the flesh and repenting of sin is the greatest deception in our day. Let me be a follower of Christ and live like the world. Yes, we must speak the truth. And when we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. And when we speak the truth, as Peter says, we speak the truth with gentleness and respect. So we're not trying to mow people down with truth. So this is Isaiah's call. And while you and I are not Isaiah, we are not the prophet to God's people, and we're not going to record, write down any scripture for people to read. At the same time, I remind you, you've been called by God. And when he called you, he called you not to grow fat and happy in Jesus Christ, sitting on the couch, but he called you to sanctify you and he called you to send you. You are a chosen people, 1 Peter 2 tells us. A called out people, the people of God, been called out by God. Why? That you, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Ours is a calling that isn't if, if uh, I will speak, if they will listen. It is I will speak and I might not even speak very well and they very well might not listen. But them listening isn't the point. Do you know verses nine through 10 are some of the most, most quoted verses out of Isaiah. All these people who will be blind and deaf and won't respond. And I believe that was for a purpose and the purpose was to be an encouragement to the New Testament Christian in Jesus's day that for them, there would be so many surrounding them that won't listen to them either. And it's the same for us today. And so it's to be an encouragement that it wouldn't damper, we need to speak. Because people will oppose us and people will reject God's glories. And what are we to do? Speak. We're to speak. We're to plant. The New Testament tells us. We're to water, right? Plant, water, do, do, do your job, church. Plant, water. Your job isn't to make that thing grow. That's, that's beyond your pay grade. You don't make anything grow. We don't make anything grow. We plant, we water. Frankly, we go to sleep. That's what the farmer does in that parable. He goes to sleep. And when he sleeps, God makes that thing grow. Only God makes that thing grow. Let's let God do his job and let's be faithful to our job and that is to speak. It's the king's job to convert. See, you and I will one day join King Uzziah and there'll be no more speaking this side of eternity. There'll be no more speaking to the lost at that point. We will go silent on the earth. He cries out, but how long, O oh Lord? Oh, it's going to be a long time, Isaiah. I'm glad you don't have at the end of the book. It's going to be a long time. Church, it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a lifetime. Speaking the truths of God's glories. I appreciate the humanness of this cry. <laughs> How long is this going to go on? For your lifetime. 
people are going to reject God. Speak. Speak, Isaiah. Speak. Verse, well, let's go to 12. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Wow. Like a terebinth or, or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. What a, it's a picture of destruction to the people of God. Most, verses 10 and 11, most will not repent. Verse 13, a tenth. Does he say a tenth will remain? And though a tenth remain in it. So, wow, imagine Trinity Community Church shrinking down to a tenth. That was Judah and Jerusalem. The people of God who repented and sought after the Lord. The nation will be destroyed like a forest that's been cut down, like the the verbiage of stump when it's been felled. It's just a bunch of stumps. And then it says, it'll be burnt again. So you got all these felled trees, you got all these stumps in the forest, then it gets burned. A tenth remains. This forest of stumps. A couple of years ago, excuse me, in light of the hurricanes, I had a pretty big oak tree near my screen enclosure. I was concerned given its size. I had already lost an oak tree. And um, this one was big enough to do some damage to the screen. And I decided to cut it down. And there's a picture. I took it last night. That stump there, that's the stump. The tree used to, so you get an idea. It's pretty, well, I don't know if you can get an idea from that. It's pretty big. It's a decent size. Not, not huge. But it was a decent size, so I cut it down. That, that stick next to it is the tree that grew out of the stump. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I was working on the sermon last night. And I was like, oh, I got to go out there. It's getting dark. I got to grab a picture of this because I've got a visual of this. There's a tree that grew out of it. That's the tree. It's about, it's between 20 and 25 feet high. It's crazy. I, it's getting to the point where another hurricane, I, I'm going to have to take down the shoot that grew out of the stump. And it's just amazing over just really two and a half years, I think, to watch something grow out of that stump. It just doesn't look like that stump could produce anything. It's producing a tree. And that's what's going on in Isaiah 6 at the end here. The stumps have been cut down. They've been burned. It's all been felled. It's why I love chapter, I mean, verse 13. I absolutely love verse 13. Because what it's saying is that there will be a shoot that emerges from the stump. This stump that's been burnt, this stump that looks like it's nothing, this stump that's been felled, nothing glorious about the stump, but out of the stump, yeah, there will be destruction, but the destruction isn't the end. And there'll be a shoot, an offspring, Because the Lord, he's not done with Judah and Jerusalem. And that covenant that he made with Abraham back there, all the way back in Genesis 12, still in effect.
Judah and Jerusalem will be destroyed because they refuse to listen to God. But in the wasteland, grace will appear. Did I mention to you earlier? Yeah, we did. Chapter seven's coming. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That's, that's what we're talking 14 verses later. That, that's, here it comes. And then chapter nine's coming. Yes, God will judge his people, but not with finality. He will preserve for himself a worshiping, treasuring people. And the proclamation that they proclaim will be heard by some and some will repent and some will turn and some will treasure God and they will grow and they will proclaim and then others will come and they will treasure and they will grow and they will proclaim. And church, I'm telling you, that's been going on throughout the ages since Isaiah 6. And you're here this morning because people have been treasuring and people have been growing and people have been proclaiming. And somewhere along the line, you got in the line and he redeemed you. God will judge his people, but not with finality. And out of that dead looking stump, there's a seed. And that seed is our savior, Jesus Christ. And this text is just over and over again, pointing us, there's a king. He's enthroned. He's the Lord of hosts and he's coming. Are you, hear me, hear me a moment, right? They didn't listen. Hear me a moment. Let me just ask, are you spiritually dead to the things of God? It's not that they weren't religious. They were religious. God's over that. Go back, previous chapters. If you are dead to the things of God, brothers and sisters, cry out to your Lord Why not fall on your knees? Why not hit the floor on your face before God? Why not weep before the Lord and cry out, God, melt my heart before you? Can I say, beware of the heart that's too proud to do so. Beware of the formalism that keeps you from humbling yourself. Beware of the mind that loads up all the reasons why that's inappropriate or all the reasons that I need to keep God at arm's length. Beware of the long list of reasons to delay responding to him. Beware of dismissing a sermon and thinking, yeah, that's probably good for someone else. Beware, church. So God, I pray, Lord, come. Lord, I, my concern is we're more like Judah and Jerusalem than we care to admit. And all of our prosperity and all that you've given us and surrounded us with your blessing and we thought the blessing was the thing to be worshipped. And we forgot you who blesses. We turn the gifts into the, the lust and the desire and the love of our hearts. We thought the gifts were what was to be treasured rather than the giver. We've lost sight of you. Lord God, where that is true, where that is landing on our hearts, Lord, lay us low. Why not? 
Help us not to be those people who are dull and will not hear and will not open their eyes and will not move upon our hearts. Let's stand together, church.